This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. We're going to be sharing another adventure supplied by Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police. Now, that was a Canadian police force established in 1873 by the then Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald. And he did that to maintain order in the Northwest Territories. The Mounted Police combined military, police, and judicial functions along similar lines to the Royal Irish Constabulary. The Mounted Police assisted in the construction of the Canadian Pacific Railway including relocating indigenous communities living along the route. The force established a wide network of posts and patrols, enabling them to protect and assist the ranchers who created huge cattle businesses across the prairies. The living conditions of the police on the prairies, spartan and often uncomfortable, and only slowly improved over the course of the century. Now, meanwhile, the railway enabled more settlers to migrate west creating new towns and industries while the force restricted the First Nations to the reserves. The mounted police faced challenges in adapting to the changing situation, especially when applying the unpopular prohibition laws to the white community. With the discovery of gold in the Klondike, however, the force was redeployed to protect Canada's sovereignty over the region and to maintain and manage the influx of prospectors of industrial uh, disputes between organized labor and company owners. In the aftermath of the violence of the Winnipeg General Strike, the government decided to amalgamate the force with the Dominion Police to form the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and that happened in 1920. Many popular novels were published about the Mounted Police from 1885 onward, and in the 20th century, over 250 films were made, along with radio and television portrayals. And tonight... We turn to one of those portrayals with this production, Challenge of the Yukon, and the episode tonight, entitled The Puppy. The Challenge of the Yukon. <laughs> it's King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the North Country, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. One king! <laughs> gold, gold discovered in the Yukon a stampede to the Klondike in the greedy race for riches. Now back to the days of the gold rush when Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog King battled through storm and snow to preserve law and order as they met the challenge of the Yukon. Sergeant Preston, with his dog King at his side, knocked at the door of Jim Crane's cabin on the outskirts of Dawson. The door was opened by young Tommy, Jim's 12-year-old son. Hello, Sergeant Preston. Come in. How are you, King, old fella? How are you, Tommy? 
Your father here? He'll be, he'll be here any minute now, I think. Uh, he went over to Tim Lacey's to look at some furs. Take your park off and sit down, Sergeant. Thanks, Tom. I came over to have a look at those sled dogs your dad has to sell. They're out in the kennels. Did, did Dad tell you that Vixen had her pups? Yes. They're, uh... About ten days old now, aren't they? Yeah, and the cutest things you ever saw. Huh? I've got one of them right here in this box. Uh, well, will King hurt him if I show him to you? Oh, no, King won't hurt a puppy. Come here, King. Down, boy. Oh, look at him, Sergeant. Isn't he a beauty? Oh, I should say so. Let's have a look at you, young fella. Well, he's a good dog. Nice bones and build. His stomach is all swollen up. I guess he ate too much dinner. <laughs> that reminds me of the last case I was on. Was it that bank robbery? Yes, Tom. I just got back a few days ago. I heard something about it. Gee, Sergeant, what happened? Will you tell me about it? As long as you're going to be waiting for Dad, you'll have time. Why, sure. But you'd uh, better put this little fellow back in his box. I think he's sleepy. Guess I'd better. He always gets sleepy after he eats. There you are, Spot. Go to sleep. <laughs> Gee, Sergeant, I've been waiting to hear about you getting those robbers. You discovered that the bank had been robbed before anybody, didn't you? Yes, I did. But the robbery was evidently planned about a week before. There were two men who arrived in Dawson about that time with the names of Hank Sims and Tim Johnson. They came into the Gold Nugget Bar quite often, but didn't mix with the other men very much. However, they did manage to meet Jed Wilcox, the old man who sleeps in the back room of the bank. They called him to their table one night. Look over there, Tim. That's the old codger I was telling you about. He don't look very dangerous. <laughs> you sure he's the one who guards the bank? Pretty sure. He's coming this way. This is as good a time as any to find out. Uh, hello, mister. Uh, oh, howdy. Well, I don't remember seeing you in town before. You strangers? <laughs> Sit down and get acquainted. <laughs> I won't be able to stay with you long. I got to go to work. You don't work at night, do you? Yep, I do. I came up to the Yukon to look for gold, same as everybody else, but my luck ran out on me, I guess. Before I hit any pay dirt, I had a bad accident. I slipped on some ice and injured my back. I was in a pretty bad spot, I can tell you. Are you the bank clerk? Oh, no, no. I ain't very good at figures. I just sleep in the back room, watching it from night. That sounds easy enough. Well, it ain't too hard, but it don't pay much. I guess I'm lucky to be working at all, though. Hank and Tim waited almost a week before going ahead with their plan. They bought a good dog team and loaded up with supplies. And at midnight, one night when it was snowing and cold and the town was quiet, they drove up to the bank. Can you get it open, Tim? Getting locks open is my business. This is nothing. There, it's open. Easy now. You get over and turn that lantern down a little. Someone might see us from the street. I'm going to need a little light to crack that safe. There ain't anybody on the street. We're safe enough. I hope old Jed is a sound sleeper. Yeah. Oh, you clumsy fool. I couldn't help it. It slipped out of my hand. You woke the old man up. Get over there beside that door. Who, who's there? Hey, what are you doing? Yeah, that did it. You won't give us any trouble now. Hey, good. I wonder if the old duffer saw me. He didn't get a chance. I got him the minute he stuck his head in. I'll tie him up and gag him. Now you get back and see what you can do about that safe. We better get out of here fast. 
I was coming home from a patrol north, got into town early that morning before anybody was up. When I passed the bank, I noticed that the door was open. I stopped the dog team and decided to have a look. Parking! Oh, you huskies! Hey, King, come along, come on. There's nobody here. What is it, King? Jed. Uh, wait a minute. I'll get that gag out of your mouth. There. Are you hurt? Uh, thanks, Sergeant. I'm hurt, but not too bad. Good. I'll untie these ropes. There. Oh, I've been lying on this floor all night. I'm cold and stiff. I'll help you up, Jed. Now, sit over here near the stove. There's not much fire in it, but I'll poke it up. Uh, the bank's been robbed, Sergeant. Tell me about it while I fix this fire. Oh, I got a lump on my head the size of a hen's egg. They hit me with the butt of a gun. Huh? So lucky I got a good thick head. I wouldn't be here to tell you about it. Did you get a look at them at all? Yes, I saw one of them. Huh? It's a man who's been hanging around the Gold Nugget Bar for about a week. He's a big fella with a scar on his face from his left eye down to his lip. His beard don't cover it. You know his name? Well, I heard the bartender call him Hank one night. Maybe he can tell you something about it. I'll check there later. Now, uh, tell me what happened. Well, I sleep in the back room here, you know. Yes. Well, last night I woke up and thought I heard a noise. I keep a lantern burning in here all night. So I got my gun and came to see what was wrong. When I opened the door, I saw this Hank standing in the middle of the room. Just then something hit me from behind. His partner was probably waiting beside the door when you opened it. I never knew what hit me. When I woke up, I was tired and gagged and couldn't move a muscle. So wonder they didn't kill you. This, this Hank fella didn't know what a good look I got of him, or he probably would have. He, he just happened to be standing where the lantern light showed up that scar on his face. Well, how much did they take? We had over $50,000 worth of gold in this bank. And they took every bit of it, I suppose. Well, we checked, and the thieves had taken everything they could carry. $50,000 worth of gold and dust and nuggets is a heavy load. It had snowed early that morning, but I remembered seeing rather a fresh trail when I came into town. The tracks were deep, and the snow hadn't quite filled them. I hadn't passed a sled or a team on the way, so they may have heard me coming and hidden. I reported the case to headquarters and asked to be assigned to it. Inspector Grayson gave me my instructions. Oh, uh, Sergeant, I'm sending a man with you on this case. It's Corporal Terry. Just been transferred here from Montreal. You've met him, haven't you? I met him this morning, sir. Jim Terry's a good man. This is his first trip north. Knowing the north the way you do, Sergeant, I can't think of a better way for him to learn than going on a case with you. Well, thank you, sir. We have a very accurate description of these men who robbed the bank. You can't miss Hank Sims, as he calls himself, with that scar on his face. The man who's with him... There's two fingers missing on his left hand. His name is Tim Johnson. I'm sure they must have left town by the trail that I came in on, sir. That's very possible, Sergeant. I think you and Corporal Terry had better try that direction. Perhaps you can pick up some information at trading posts or from trappers along the way. At least it's a place to start. 
Remember, they have a heavy load, Sergeant. Won't be able to travel very fast. I was glad to have young Corporal Terry with me. We seldom travel alone at this time of year because the temperature is liable to drop to 50 or 60 below zero. And it's very dangerous to be alone on the trail when that happens. Corporal Terry's initiation to the ways of the North Country wasn't easy. First day we were out, the temperature fell to 65 below zero. So we holed up in the trapper's cabin for a day or two. But the men we were after didn't dare to stop. They had a heavy load on their sled and didn't want to be seen by anybody. Hank Sims and his partner Tim Johnson were mushing along the trail that led along a creek when the temperature dropped. Tim wasn't used to the north. Hank, we gotta stop and build a fire. This cold is eating right into my bones. Yeah, we can't stop. This ain't the time to go soft. They'll have a mounty on our trail by this time, sure. But my foot's numb. Keep moving. If you stop, you'll freeze. Uh-oh, my foot. Hank, wait. Oh, oh there. Hank, my foot broke through. It's wet. Oh, you fool. I told you to watch out for spots like that on this creek. I get that boot off right away. Yeah. How can there be water when it's so cold? This creek is fed by springs. The snow and ice freezes over the top, but there's a pool of water under it. I told you to watch out. Now get a fire belt. Hank, my, my hand, my fingers are numb. I can't open these laces. You should have cut them open. Your hand is frozen. Don't you know you can't take off a mitten in this temperature? Oh, why did I bring you with me, you stupid fool? Hank, my foot, there ain't no feeling in it. I... I can't walk. By the time I build a fire and get your foot fixed, we'll lose hours of time. Maybe I could ride on the sled. Maybe we could like it. we got too big a load now. If you think we're going to drop off supplies so you can ride, you're crazy. But, Hank, my foot's froze solid. It's like a piece of ice. I ain't going to lose time just because you're a fool. I told you to be careful. Hank, Hank, don't leave me. I, I can't walk. Mercy! Mercy, your huskies! Mercy! Hank, come back. Don't leave me. Hank! Two days later, Corporal Terry and I were mushing along that same creek. We weren't at all sure that we were on the trail of the thieves, but I was heading for a trading post where I hoped Hank might have stopped. All of a sudden, King barked up ahead of the team. Oh, how are you, Huskies? Something wrong, Sergeant? Yes, Corporal. Look there, beside the creek. You mean that white figure? Looks like a snowman. It's a man covered with snow. Come on. Look out, Terry. Go around that place. That's one of those traps I was telling you about. There's a spring under the ice right there. I got to watch where I was going. Yes, King. It's a man, all right. Why, look. He froze to death setting up. They were fools to try and travel at low temperature, and they didn't know the country too well. Sergeant, do you think he's one of the men we're after? Yes. Now we know we're on the right trail. Look here, Corporal. His left hand, the one without the mitten. Two fingers are missing. But the other one, the other man, uh... Hank, why didn't he take him on the sled or something? Well, you see this foot? Has ice all over it, like an icy boot. Tim probably stepped into a hole, and Hank didn't want to waste any precious time saving him. But to leave him like this, to freeze. And now we know what kind of a man we're after. But he's left a clear trail in the snow. Yeah, but look, it's beginning to snow. Big flakes, too. This trail will be covered in less than an hour. Or at least we know what territory he's in, Sergeant. We covered Tim's body with branches and went on. The temperature was higher, but the snowfall was very heavy, and we lost a lot of time breaking the trail. 
Complete darkness had fallen when we were about five miles past the trading post, and I headed for the lights of the Cranston cabin. The Cransons were friends of mine. The Cransons will put us up tonight, Corporal. They're a nice family. You'll like them. A family, you say? You mean a wife, maybe children? Yes, a little girl. Her name's Jane, and she's about ten years old. Why would a man bring a wife and child way out here in the wilderness? Jim makes a good living trapping in winter, and he takes a lot of gold out of the creek in summer. You'll have enough to retire soon and go back to civilization. Oh, uh, they must have heard us coming. There's Jim now. Who is it? It's Preston, Jim. Working. Hello, your husband. Well, Sergeant... I'm sure glad to see you. This is Corporal Terry, Jim Cranston. Hey, hello, Corporal. Can you put us up for the night? I sure can. Good. Molly has supper ready, too. Come on in. I'll take care of the dog, Sergeant. You go on in. Well, thanks, Corporal. Give them a lot of food. They've had a tough day. I'll take King in with me. Come on, boy. Oh, Molly. It's Sergeant Preston. Hello, Molly. Sergeant, how are you? Sergeant Preston. Oh, goody. Hello, Jane. How's my best girl? Oh, Sergeant, I'm so glad you came. I've got something to show you. Look, over here by the stove. Jane, give the sergeant time to take his park off. Oh, he can do it later, Mommy. Look, I got a new puppy. Oh, King won't hurt him, will he? No. Go on back, King. <laughs> Why, he's a beautiful pup. Do you want to hold him? Come on, Frisky. Oh, he's nice. But... Great Scott, look at that stomach. <laughs> He's swollen up like a balloon. <laughs> Jane fed him too much. Oh. Jim and I went to the trading post this afternoon. We got back just a little while ago, and Jane had just finished overfeeding I him. See. I thought he must be very hungry because he ate half of one of my moccasins, so I gave him all he could hold. He sure can hold a lot, too. Puffs well, are little gluttons, Jane. They like to eat. But getting all they can hold isn't too good for them. He swells up like that after all his meals. So would you if you ate the way he does. <laughs> well, he'll get skinny again. He always does. I never saw anything get so fat and skinny so fast. <laughs> Put the puppy on the floor, Sergeant, and take your park off. There you go, Frisky. I'll be nice to him, King. Jane, you see that they make friends with each other. I will. Oh, look at Frisky. He's so afraid of King. He's lying on his back and waving his feet in the air. Uh, let me Come take on. your things, Sergeant. Oh, uh, thanks, Jen. Make yourself comfortable beside the fire. Thanks, I will. Dog's all right for the night. Oh, Molly, this is Corporal Terry, Mrs. Cranston. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Cranston? Jim will take your parka, Corporal. Just sit down and get warm. Oh, thanks. I'll have supper ready in no time. Yeah, Jim. Oh, this fire certainly feels good. Are you boys up here for any special reason? We're trailing a bank robber, Jim. He got away with a fortune in gold. You haven't seen anything of a man with a scar on his face and a black beard, have you? Well, a couple of days ago, right after that coal spill we had, I saw a man with a six-dog team. Oh? I was coming home from my trap line. He crossed the trail just as I was coming to it. I yelled at him, thinking he might be someone I knew. But he didn't stop. He just waved and kept right on going. Was he packing a heavy load? He sure was. His dogs were having a rough time breaking the trail. Sounds like our man. The time would be about right, too. He was headed towards the mountains. You may hide out somewhere around here for a while. If I were you, Jim, I'd keep Jane close to the house for a few days. It's lonely around here. I'll do that, Sergeant. By a streak of good fortune, we picked up Hank's trail again the next day. My team was fresh, and we made excellent time over the hard snow crust. That night, we camped out and got an early start the following morning. 
The mountains loomed close now. It was noon and we came upon a campsite. Working! Oh, you huskies! This looks like the place Hank slept last night, Terry. Do you think we're that close on his heels? Yes, he's lost time somewhere. Of course, he hasn't given his dogs much rest, and they're pulling a lot of weight. We can go about twice as fast. How do you suppose he figures to get up that mountain trail with a tired team? I think that's where we'll catch him, Corporal. Unless he outsmarts us some way. If he once gets through those mountains, he might be able to make the border. He's not going to get through those mountains. Come on. On tang! On, you huskies! We had no trouble following Hank's trail then. The wind had blown the loose snow away and left a hard-packed crust. But here and there, Hank's sled had made an imprint. And now and then we saw footprints where the snow was protected from the wind. There was very little daylight left when we approached the mountains. The trail led up like a great curved snake and jagged rocks hung over it. Suddenly, there was a gunshot. I heard the whine of a bullet past my head and a dull plop as it hit the snow. I shouted at the dogs. Hulking! Hold your huskies! Get down, Terry, behind the sled, quick! Say, that was close. Back here, King. Your fella. Down, boy. Hank must have seen us coming. He's up on that mountain trail to the left, behind those rocks. He's probably been watching for us. There. I saw him that time. He couldn't wait any longer. It's getting dark. Hope he doesn't shoot the dogs. Guess we were closer to him than we thought we were. Wish we had more shelter. Maybe I can get a bead on him. That worked from this side. It's hard to see him in that shadow. Sergeant, look! Up above him! Those rocks. Those shots started an avalanche. We're all right. We're not in this path. Gosh, I never saw anything like that in my life. Looked as if half the mountain fell on him. I'm afraid that's the end of Hank. (laughs) He's buried under tons of ice and rock. And I'm afraid that's the end of the bank's gold, too. It's buried with him. Look, can a shot start an avalanche like that? Oh, yes. Rocks get loaded with ice and snow, and any slight jar can start them down. And once started, they take everything in their path. It was the most horrible thing I ever saw. Glad we weren't any closer. I think it's safe to go over there now. Come on, Terry. Let's see what we can find. All right, Sergeant. It's hard to believe a shot can do. Of course, our task was a hopeless one. We couldn't even get near the spot where Hank had last been seen. There were tons of ice and rocks covering the trail, and Hank was buried far beneath them. We camped at the base of the mountain that night and started back the following day. I decided to stop on the way home to tell the Cransons that they no longer had to worry about a criminal in that vicinity. It was about noon, two days later, when we arrived at their cabin. Booking! We're back sooner than I thought we'd be, Molly. Come on in. Jim and Jane aren't here, but they will be soon. Sit down and take your coats off while I make some hot tea. Thanks. I could sure use some. Did you get the man you were after? Not exactly, but he won't bother anyone anymore. He's dead. Dead? Oh, dear. He got caught in an avalanche right in front of us. It buried him and all the gold he stole. Won't they be able to recover it? I'm afraid not. Well... At least the country's rid of a thief and a murderer. When I think of him leaving that man to freeze, it's worth all the money to be rid of him. The bank won't be too happy about it, I'm afraid. What'd you say Jim was? He's out with Jane looking for Frisky. Pup's been gone for a day and a night, and Jane's almost frantic. Oh, Sergeant Preston. I'm so glad you came back. 
You and King will find Frisky. I know you will. Tell me about it, Jane. Jane, dear, Sergeant Preston can't waste time hunting for puppies. He's on duty. Oh, but I love Frisky. He's the only thing that's all mine. And, and if I don't find him, I'll just die, that's all. Now, Jane, dear, don't cry. Of course we'll help you find your pup. You, you will? Oh, Sergeant, I just know you would. Really, Sergeant? It's too much to ask you to do this. It will take too much time. Jane, dear, you now, can't... Now, Molly, after all, Jane's a citizen. She lost her puppy, and she has a right to ask the law to help her get it back. What do you say, Corporal Terry? I agree with you. You see, Molly? Oh, thank you. I knew you'd know how I felt, because well, you love King so much. Now, tell me about Frisky. When did he disappear? Well, it was yesterday morning... He ran away from me, and I couldn't go after him because Mother made me promise not to go away from the house. I'm so afraid he got caught in a trap or something. Daddy's still looking for him, but I thought I heard King barking, so I came back to the house. Oh, there's Daddy now. Daddy, did you find him? No, Jane. Hello, Sergeant. Hello, Jim. All right, Terry. That's fine. Did you lose track of the robbery you were chasing? No, we got him, but I'd better tell you about it later, Jim. Sergeant Preston, Corporal Terry are going to help us find Frisky. Well, I'm afraid it's hopeless, Jane. I've looked pretty thoroughly. Didn't he leave any tracks? Well, there were some leading away from the cabin where the snow was loose, but they end over here a ways. The snow crust is hard, the wind blew the loose snow away. He was delighted he didn't leave any tracks on the crust. Well, at least you know what direction he took. Well, he was a strong pup. I'm afraid he wandered a long way off. Maybe got caught in a trap. Or oh. Wolf may have got him. Oh, Daddy, no. Sergeant Preston. No, don't worry, Jane. Maybe King can help us find him. Oh, King knows him. They got to be good friends when you stayed here that night. Well, this is too much to ask of you, Sergeant. You lose too much time. <laughs> After being on a manhunt, <laughs> this seems rather foolish. Not at all, Jim. Frisky means more to Jane than that gold does to the bank. I know how I'd feel if King were missing. Oh, can we start looking right now? Well, first of all, we have to let King know what we're looking for, dear. Uh, have you anything here that smells like Frisky so that King can get the scent? Oh, dear. I brushed Frisky so much and kept him so clean that he didn't smell at all. Well, uh, well that's not what I mean, Jane. You see, dogs can smell things that humans can't. Everything has some sort of scent, and a dog's nose is very keen. He depends on that more than he does his eyes. Uh, Frisky's blanket is in his box. Would that do, Sergeant? Well, that'll be fine, Molly. I'll let King smell that, and we'll find Frisky if he's still alive. I'll get it, Sergeant. I just know King will find Frisky. I've trained King to find things by giving him the scent and telling him to search. We found a lot of people that way by letting him smell a garment they've worn. Well, we took Frisky's blanket with us and followed the tracks he'd left. They went north and ended, as Jim said, where the snow crust was hard and shiny. I let King smell the blanket, and from there on, he took over. We crisscrossed back and forth for a time, and then a light wind came up from the north. Suddenly, King sniffed the air, whined, and started off in a straight line. We were almost a mile from the cabin, but little Jane struggled along with us. King would wait for us, and then continue straight ahead. All right, King, we're coming. Oh, I think he knows where Frisky is, Sergeant. He seems to be after something, Jane. Jane, dear, uh, aren't you tired? Why don't you wait here for us? 
I'm not tired, Daddy. Sergeant, King seems to have found something. He's stopping beside that big rock. I see King, but I don't see any sign of Frisky. Maybe he found a rabbit or something. No, King knows what he's looking for. Oh, I hope it's Frisky. It's a pile of small rocks piled up against that big one. What is it, fella? He's scratching at those rocks. Looking through that crack between them. Listen. these rocks and get him out of there. Come on, Terry. I'll help it. See how he got in here. This one will do it. Ah, here he is. Oh, oh Frisky. I'm so glad to get you back. Look at him. How fatty is that stomach after being in there for two days? Wait a minute. Come on, boys. Help me move some more of these rocks. Sure. I'll get this one here. Yeah, that does it. Something in that hole in the side of the big rock. Uh, what is it? There's something. Well, a sack of dried fish ripped open. And there's more food in there, I think. Wait, I'll get it. This must be somebody's cache. What's a cache, Daddy? Well, it's a place where someone hides food to use later. He comes back from a trip along the same route. There's more than food in this one. Look at this, Jim. It's a bag. It's a bag of gold. The bag belongs to the bank in Dawson. Corporal? I think this gold was hidden here by Hank Sims. You mean the man you were chasing? That's right. He hid the gold here along with a lot of supplies. And that gave him a light load to carry, and he planned to lead us off into the mountains where he could ambush us. Then he'd come back, pick up the gold and supplies. Or maybe he thought he'd get over the border and come back after we'd stopped chasing him. You see, uh, he couldn't have made it with a heavy load of gold. And uh, now you can take the gold back to the bank. Yes, thanks to Frisky. But how did Frisky get in there? And why didn't he come out the same way and come home? Well, Jane, I think Frisky went exploring. He must have smelled the food in here with the gold, squeezed to a crack between the rocks. But after he ate all he could, his stomach was too big to get out again, so he probably just lay down and went to sleep. But he always gets thin when he hasn't eaten for a while. But when he's thin, dear, he's hungry. So when he woke up, he filled up again and couldn't get out. Well, come on, Gorbo. Let's get the rest of the gold out of here. All right, Sergeant. That pup is sure a little glutton. Oh, but I love him. And I love King, too. So, Tommy, that's how we got the gold back for the bank. Some of it was your father's, I think. Gee, Sergeant, and that was swell. I hope I can train my pup the way you did King. Oh, it isn't hard if you're patient. We're sure lucky that you thought the pup was just as important to find as gold. What well, was important, Tommy. A dog is a good friend. And a faithful friend is much more important than gold. Isn't it, King? <laughs> The Challenge of the Yukon, a copyrighted feature, is brought to you each week at this time, and all characters, names, and incidents used are fictitious. Listen again next week to another exciting adventure during the days of the gold rush. L. Prow speaking. This program came to you from Detroit. Eavesdropping can be excused. That is, if it's done by way of the candid microphone, a new and different show that we bring you every Sunday night over most of these ABC stations. This novel experiment in radio uses no actors and no scripts. You hear nothing but the honest reactions of citizens in all walks of life to various everyday questions and situations.
As the candid camera catches people off guard and reveals them in unposed photographs, so a candid microphone brings conversations of people to the air in unrehearsed scenes from everyday life. And that's exactly what is done on Candid Microphone. ABC's roving reporter, aided and abetted by a candid microphone, catches people as they are in varying circumstances. Mad, glad, sad, working, playing, shopping, or just talking. For entertainment that's fresh and different, join us when Candid Microphone talks out tomorrow night over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy with special guest Carmen Miranda. The Charlie McCarthy Show! Ladies and gentlemen, greeting you from the Pasadena Playhouse, Pasadena, California. On behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarty, Ray Noble and his orchestra, Anita Gordon, Mortimer Slurd, Pat Patrick as Ursula Swing, Jack Mather, and our special guest, Carmen Miranda. And here are Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. <laughs> Well, here we are again, back in California. Yes, yes. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, I tell you, Bergen, this racing across the country, oh, this mad pace, it's getting me down. Yes. Oh, yes. I feel lower than a gopher's garter. Is that true? <laughs> uh, well, you suffering. Well, think of the pioneers who came across the country in a covered wagon. Did you have a nice trip? Oh, <laughs> Yes, uh, you don't appreciate the many luxuries of today. Is that so? Yes. What would you do if you were, well, say, uh, oh, shipwrecked on a desert island? Oh, I'd, uh, I'd get along. The question is, what would you do? I see. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'd salt in an open wound, you know. <laughs> I don't think either one of us would handle the situation as well as Robinson Crusoe did. Because, uh, oh, he was the guy who was macarooned on an island. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's a very interesting story. When I was a little boy, I read the story over and over. Yeah? Yes. Nothing stayed in that little square head, did it? No. <laughs> I'll be glad to tell it. Well, we didn't ask for it. Yes. <laughs> there are many versions of the story of Robinson Crusoe. Could we have the silent version? Yeah. <laughs> How did he get on the island? That's the only thing I want to know. Well, I'll tell you. Good. He was shipwrecked at sea. Mm. Every sailor lost his life except Robinson Crusoe. Uh-huh. How do you suppose he escaped from drowning? Uh, well, he, uh, he missed the boat. No. <laughs> well, I was trying. <laughs> he tied some floating logs together and built himself a raft. And then on this log, on this raft, he was floating along, and he floated and floated. And finally, he saw an island, and he cried, Land ho! Land ho! I'll drop dead. Land ho! Land ho! He landed safely on the island and lived there all alone. Days went into weeks, weeks went into months, and months went into years. And that's as far as you can went. Yes. <laughs> His hair grew long and unsightly. Sour grapes, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> the 
being the only one on the island, he walked the beaches with impunity. One day he saw footprints in the sand. Who do you suppose it was? I think it's that guy, Impunity. No. <laughs> I never trusted him. Shifty eyes. All right, never. I shouldn't say that he walked alone or that he lived alone. You shouldn't even tell the story. Oh. <laughs> he did have, for companionship, a green parrot. A green parrot? Yes. Couldn't he get a ripe one? Oh, yes. <laughs> But all the parrot could say was, hello and goodbye. That's all. That's all. He wasn't much for long visits, was he? No. no. <laughs> but one night, one night he saw a fire burning on the far shore. Yeah? And so upon investigating, he discovered a tribe, a tribe of cannibals. Cannonballs? Cannibals. <laughs> and they had a captured a man. What do you suppose they were going to do with this fire? Have a weenie rose? No. <laughs> they were going to throw this man in the fire and eat him. Sounds tasty. All right. <laughs> now, Robinson Crusoe didn't want the cannibals to eat this man. He wanted to eat him himself. No, no. <laughs> so to frighten them away, he fired his gun. Bang! <laughs> Why don't you look where you're shooting? <laughs> The man is so realistic. <laughs> Upon hearing the shot, the cannibals jumped into their boats and reluctantly said farewell as they sailed into the sunset. No, no, no. Uh, no, no. Why? Well, they didn't go that way at all. Is there another way? Oh, yes. <laughs> so Robinson Crusoe saved this man's life, and because it all happened on Friday, yeah. what, what do you think he called him? Well, I don't know. I wasn't there. I... <laughs> It all happened on Friday. You said that. What do you think he named this man? There is a clue, isn't there? Yes, of course. <laughs> isn't that disgusting? I, I, I feel I'm so close to it, too. <laughs> what day did it happen on? Friday. Friday. I feel that's a clue. Yes. <laughs> uh, Meatless Tuesday? No. <laughs> No, he called him Friday. I would have never guessed it. All right. So Friday fell on the sand. Lucky he didn't fall on the 13th. Yeah, all right. <laughs> and he put Caruso's foot on his head to signify a sign of servitude, a pledge of lifetime of work. Bergen, get your foot off my neck. All right. <laughs> now, Charlie, what is the moral of this story? Well, Bergen, the moral is... No matter how bad things are, Bergen will tell you a story and make them worse. All right. <laughs> Ray Noble is Arkansas and Anita Gordon now bring you the man with the Stanley Steamer.
Get your veil and get your duster. Get a yen for goggles when the wind's a duster. Keep your hovered down, firmly belted down. When you're out in your saddle, you keep In a gale, we never fluster. Pause the toes and get that old familiar luster. If you're dressed in style, everyone will smile. When you're out in your saddle, you keep have his charm, but he's looking at us with alarm, cause it looks like he's back to the farm, but if you fail with your combustor, then your speed is gonna need a new adjuster, so you must be just, just the one you trust, or we won't step inside, no we won't take the ride that you plan in your family, in your Stanley Seamer you're eating there, is it? An ice cream bar? Yeah, ice cream bar. Oh, I spend it a whole dime on it. Yeah? Yeah. All at one place? Yeah, yeah. I reckon I'm just one of those wild uh, playboys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it, lo- it looks like an Eskimo pie to me. Yeah. Do you know why they call it that? Because it's made out of Eskimos? No, no. <laughs> no, Eskimos are people. Oh, how do you do? Yeah. Yes, you see, they live up in the Arctic. Well, not up in our attic, no. <laughs> we just got we just got mice and turn mice up in our attic, yeah. No, I mean they live up up north. Oh, up north, yeah. Oh, oh, Yankees. That's right. <laughs> yes, they live in that fascinating land of the Northern Lights. Mm-hmm. You've heard of the Aurora Borealis. Oh, have I? Yeah. <laughs> have you what? Uh, that roaring boric acid? Yeah. <laughs> Mind the aurora borealis is a luminous phenomena of the Arctic atmosphere. Mm. A phantasmagoria of colored lights caused by progressive electric discharges. Eskimo lives, there's nothing but snow and icebergs. Do you know what they eat up there? Icebergers? No. no. 
they eat raw meat. They often kill whales for their blubber. You know what they use the blubber for? No, Miss Blubberdum? No, no. <laughs> and it's so cold up there they live in igloos. Of course you know what an igloo is. It's a baby igloo. Baby igloo, no. <laughs> well, wh- what is, what is a, a one of them uh, glueig? No, not glueig, igloo. <laughs> I came in the back way, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eskimos, you know, have some very amusing customs. They do? Yes. Oh, yeah. And do you know what? No, I doubt it very much. You do. <laughs> you doubt what? I don't know. You don't know. <laughs> Mortimer, you're not listening to what I'm saying. Well, I am so too, yeah. Well, then what did I say? You said I wasn't listening to what you were saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was about to tell you that they kiss by rubbing noses. Yeah? Yes. Well, I guess I'd be able to look up there. <laughs> Why is that? Well, I can't make my nose pucker. I am. Oh, how can you be so stupid? Oh, I specialize. Oh, I If you've had enough of Mortimer and his Eskimos, here's someone from the South to thaw you out. Miss Carmen Miranda. Oh, hey. I've gone so hot for you to see me in colors. How is my little stick in the muddy pie? <laughs> You look good enough to eat. Yes. Oh, Carlos. Especially leave that fruit salad on your head. Yes. Hello, you. My feet don't get tongue when you can't go to the bathroom. Oh, I know it's going to kill me, but I won't tell you. You'll give me Portuguese pimples. Oh, Did you note something different? No. I have lost my accent. No one will ever notice it. <laughs> Carmen, I, I want you to act in a show that I've written. I don't understand. Well, you see, I, I am making a play for you. Oh, you always did, you little wolf in the grass. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't understand. Uh, I've written an opera just for you. Oh, Carlos, you should not have done it. No? And I ain't kidding. No. <laughs> well, you, you will be the star, and you're going to sing in it. Oh, I love that, Carlos. And I show you how good I can sing now. Okie doke. Okie dokie, wee oui, wee, oui, bonjour, and oh, I sling that Brazilian dog. <laughs> <laughs> Quase não volto mais aqui Pra ver se ele E eu conheci uma espanhola Natural Catalunha E que queria que eu toquesse castanhola Que pegasse toda a unha Caramba, caracol e todo samba Não me amoles pro Brasil Eu vou fugir Que isso é conversa mole para boi Parachimbo, 
no vaso mais aqui Pra ver se ele Deixa de se parar E eu conheci uma espanhola Naturada Catalunha E queria que eu tocasse Estanhola Que pegasse toda a unha Caramba, caracola e tudo Samba não me amole sou Brasil Eu vou fugir Que sou conversa mole Para pois Eu fui à estrada de Madrid E quase não volto mais aqui Pra preferir Natural da Catalunha E se queria que eu tocasse castanhola Que pegasse toda a unha Caramba, caracol, isso do samba Não me amoles pro Brasil Eu vou fugir Isso é conversa mole para boi version of the opera, Carmen. Tell him about it, Deans Carpenter. Very well, Charlie. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness a musical mutilation of the opera, Carmen, by Charles Bizet McCarthy. <laughs> the opening scene is in a cigarette factory where we find two girls in their early nicotines. <laughs> the house lights dim and go out, but you can't because we've locked the doors. <laughs> and now the curtain reluctantly rises as our Hooper descends. Yeah. Oh, Anita, what is it, Carmen? I'm so sick of this tobacco factory, all day long bending over a hot cigarette. <laughs> the boss told me he'd move me to the package department as soon as I learned to count to 20. Then I won't have to wrap paper around this corset anymore. Why don't you be like me? I just wrapped the boss on my fingers. Jiggle, jiggle, here comes the senor Salpus. Yeah. I can't figure out what's come over this younger generation we have now. They act like crazy screwballs. Senor Swenson, I want to go home. I'm not feeling well. Is that so? Well, you don't look sick. But I am. I'm sick as a dog. Is that so? Well, let me feel your nose. <laughs> but I feel so bad because I have to go to my grandma's funeral. Oh, so that's how it is, huh? Well, that's three times that your grandma has died lately. <laughs> well, she's up, she's down. She never has been very, very well, you no, know. I guess not, no. No. Well, you ain't fooling me, young lady. You always want to get off every time that Carlos McCarthy is fighting the bull. Oh, he's so handsome, yeah. so handsome. And I'm so lonesome. Then you know something. Mm. I am lonesome, too. <laughs> now, what do you say, Carmen, my cutie, huh? Oh, you Scandinavian Gregory Peck. Yeah. <laughs> The South American Yane Russell, the, uh... <laughs> the, what you say about joining me in a little smurgle sport? I have imported herring and loot fisk. 
We say Wednesday evening, aren't you? Wednesday? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I think my grandma, she's going to do it again. Ah. Okay, if I go now? I guess so, because I go myself. Hello. <laughs> Dear, why did I ever become a bullfighter? I wish Carmen were here to give me courage. Oh, where is that valley of mine? Raimondo, Raimondo. Uh, yes, your Toreadorship. <laughs> Didn't you hear me calling you? Oh, sigh, sigh. <laughs> did my new Toreador outfit arrive? Oh, sigh, sigh. How does it look? Oh, so, so. Okay. <laughs> I said, perhaps you'd better wear the bushes that you bought in Mexico. No, they're a little too tight south to the border. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think the jacket's very smart. I mean, look at all those buttons. Genuine mater of pearls. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah? Well, tell me honestly, how do I look? Is it a fit? Oh, well, you might say it's a fit in an epileptic sort of way. I <laughs> My little, wonderful, terrific, and sensational bullfighter. You look so beautiful. Oh, so you two have found it out, huh? Oh, you look just like a page out of a scroll. Yeah. And I'm going to put you in, put you in, put you in, put you in, put you again. Ready? I can't stand it, Carmen. You mustn't do it. Why don't you like me to put you? Huh? Other men do. Other men, aha. Uh -huh. Carmen, I am afraid you are tickle. What kind of a tickle? A sweet tickle or a bill tickle? <laughs> A hot tomato thickled. <laughs> Begging my pardon, senor. What could you it? tell me which way is it to Alvarez Street? Yeah. <laughs> what is this, an alley? Yeah. Will you get out of here and take that Tijuana accent with you? <laughs> I have to go now. I must not keep the bull of eating. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Carlos, my handsome Toreador, take care of yourself, will you? Yeah. Oh, but, sir, sir, you don't have to worry, sir. No. No, no, the fight's been fixed, and you're going to win. I talked it over with the bosses. Yeah, but did you talk to the bull? <laughs> no, not yet, but he's right outside. I'll bring him in. All right, I'd like a word with him. Uh oh, Ferdinand. Yeah. <laughs> now, Senor Bull, you understand you are going to let Carlos win, huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> I've worked out something spectacular. We're going to use the T formation, and you come running around my right end. And what I mean is way around it. <laughs> and I'll use my rubber sword. And of course, in your bull, you wear your robin ornaments. Don't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and for a finish, you roll over and play dead. Got it? It's in the bag. <laughs> Don't slam the door. No, I told you not to slam the door. I'm sorry. All right, get out of here. Oh. Let's do some more things. Spanish troubadour, 
And they call me Whispering Earth O'Kling. <laughs> Are you a wandering tuba dog? Well, not exactly. Uh, well, yes, I am, too, because, well, I keep wondering how I ever got into this business. <laughs> What's your favorite song? Oh, uh, my favorite song, uh, let's see, uh, I think it's the song about my girlfriend, Bessie. Bessie who? Uh, Bessie Mae Mucho. Oh. <laughs> you know Tico Tico? Uh, no, but I can give you Tico for Tuco. <laughs> I could make mine with lemon. Well, I, I can't quite do that, uh, but I can sing it sour. That I believe. Don't be smart. Ma'am, friends, I you haven't any. Have just three. I have just a new song, and it's called. Would you like to know the title at all? We didn't ask. Yeah. It's called. Uh, what are you doing, Groundhog's Day Eve? Another, another peachy one that's entitled, uh, and I quote, what uh, are you paying attention? Yeah. yeah. Oh, hey, oh, this gladsome day, mother-in-law has ended her stay. <laughs> you write songs, but does anybody buy them? Does anybody buy yeah. them? Well, for goodness sake, my gosh, does anybody buy them? I'll have you know, I also write songs for royalty. Oh, for the king and queen? No, for the jack. Oh, for the jack. <laughs> Also, I was asked to sing at Princess uh, Elizabeth's wedding, too. For goodness sake, what were you going to sing? Royal. Oh, oh yeah, we know. <laughs> rich, rich, rich. Well, you want to hear a song that we know? Oh, one that you know? Yeah. Oh, all righty. Hands across the border. No, no, no. No, well, I got the wrong key. I'll get right here. Hands across the border. You know, this could easily start a war between Mexico and the state. <laughs> well, as far as I'm concerned, I'll have you know that I am not here today and gone tomorrow. No? No, I'm here today and gone today. Goodbye. <laughs> This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Crime Classics, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Zneimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.